0: had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. We began looking last week at those words of our Lord, it is finished. And we're going to continue thinking about that subject or that thought today about the finished work of Christ. But I want to take you to John 17 because the language in which Jesus prayed what is often referred to as his high priestly prayer. I think in, of all the passages of scripture, I'm not sure there's any that demonstrate any greater the depths of Christ's love for his people. And certainly we looked at the beauty of the words of it is finished to those that are in Christ. We rejoice that the work of salvation, the work of redemption was in totality finished by what Christ had done on the cross. But you'll notice that Jesus is, in John 17, is speaking and praying these words even before he goes to the cross, which makes what he says in one of these verses even most remarkable uh, when he says it. Look with me at verse 1 in John 17. He says, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son that thy Son also may glorify thee and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth." Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world." O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. When we considered last week the death of Christ for the sins of the elect, we were certainly reading words that were truly dear to the believer. Today, I want to dive into the depths of Christ's love for the elect. The death of Christ was for the sins of the elect, but what kind of love was being demonstrated? And is it possible for us today to even find the depth of it? Is it possible for you and I today to actually, humanly speaking, fully understand the depth of Christ's love for his people? It's the thought that's been on my mind for most of this week, thinking about Christ's love. We have demonstrations of love all around us. We have demonstrations of love, husbands and wives towards one another, parents towards children, the love that we have as a body of believers, the love of other Christians, And all of those demonstrations of love do not compare to the depth of Christ's love for his people. As we read there in John 17, we have what's referred to again as Christ's priestly prayer to his Father which he begins to speak these truths and he speaks about the love that he had for the Father and the love that the Father had for him. And he says that love is the love that I want to be in them as well. I want them to fully understand what it is to be loved with the same love in which you have loved me. There in verse 4, he said, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Jesus Christ as the God-man, fully man, fully God, with all of the love of God. Keep that in mind. Fully man, fully God, all of the love of God in him, in his incarnate, in his incarnated state, stood, took the place of, stood in the room of, acted as a surety, lived and perfectly obeyed the law for his people. Christ and his people, as Jesus prayed in John 17, are truly one. Christ's people are truly in him, and he is truly in us. Christ was the representative when he perfectly obeyed the law. He obeyed the law for us. Christ's life of obedience is our righteousness. Not righteousness for this earth and this time, but our eternal righteousness. It is his life, it is his righteousness that has been imputed into us. Christ did not do away with the law. He magnified the law by keeping the law. He made the law something to be honored, not to be discarded, And then Christ stood in the stead of his people. By standing in our place, Christ stood where we should have been standing. And by his standing there as our representative, God the Father laid upon Christ every single iniquity of all of his people. Think about the number of sin that just you personally are guilty of. Just you alone. All of the iniquities of all of his people, however mil- how many millions or billions, whatever it is, how many there actually are, all of the sins were laid upon Christ. Christ was made sin for us. God the Father, the only one who could actually do away with or dispose of iniquity, was pleased to bruise His Son. Isaiah 53 tells us that. The Father sends the Son all of the sins of the elect from every generation, from every society, From every corner of the world, from every nation, from every tribe, from every tongue, the sins of all of the elect, try to understand the immensity of this, the sins of all the elect from all time were placed upon Christ. Not some of them, all of them. Now again, trying to get a human handle on this, just try to picture just your sins being put on Christ. It's almost immeasurable to think. And yet the Bible says the iniquity was laid upon Him. When these sins came upon Christ, Christ as our mediator, the Bible says he was, His soul was heavy unto death, The Bible uses terms like he was sore amazed. He was exceedingly sorrowful. And he even makes a statement to his father that we're all familiar with. You probably learned it as a young child if you've been in church all of your life, but maybe we've never really stopped to think about it. He said this, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. When Jesus stood as the just for the unjust, he had a full and complete knowledge of all the sins of his people. Again, trying to explain this from a human perspective is difficult, but he had the full knowledge and felt the full burden of these sins. When Jesus said to the Father, let this cup pass from me, Christ was feeling the burden of these, the intolerable load that was behind it. He was actually not mystically, not hypothetically, not theoretically. He was bearing in his body all the guilt, all the corruption contained in the sins and the crimes of his people. Think about he who knew no sin had a view of sin as sin. In other words, he did not sin, but the Bible says he became sin for us. He understood his father's wrath. He was in agony. We even read in in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was in agony, it says, and his sweat was, it were, great drops of blood. The sins of his people, the guilt, bearing the shame, bearing the pain, bearing the death, not due to his sin, but due to ours. All of the sins. Every last One of them. The one that you and I say is just small. The one that we say really isn't a big deal. The one we sometimes sadly teach our children, that's just a little white lie. No, that's a sin before a holy God. That is one of the sins laid upon Him. The whole entire punishment that sin required was laid upon Him. What was laid upon you? What was laid upon myself? If I'm in Christ, absolutely nothing. I am not left to pay for my corruption, my depravity. It is Christ who paid it. It is Christ who took the entire punishment and the entirety of sin and God's wrath was fully executed on him. Isaiah 53 again says, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. And again, our mind struggles to understand this. It pleased the Lord to bruise him and put him to grief. Paul says Christ was made a curse for us. The precious Savior made a curse for us, took upon himself all of our iniquities, every sense, every faculty, every member, Throughout the soul and his body, throughout every part, underwent the entire required punishment due to our sin. He took upon himself the entire curse. His sufferings were magnified, they were exemplified in the words Now is my soul troubled. How quickly do we read over the words of our Lord going through this passion and we don't stop and think about, do you hear the depth of the love of Christ in those words? Do you hear the depth of the love of Christ when he said, my soul is troubled, his soul is troubled because he's feeling the entire weight and burden of your sin and mine. Has there ever been a love like that? I don't know anyone, humanly speaking, who's loved like that. The sufferings we often hear, and they were true. Sadly, sometimes they're magnified above the other sufferings, but the sufferings that he experienced did extend to his body. And again, we could sit here today and we could say, what must it have been like to have been scourged? It's unthinkable, folks. Scourging itself is unthinkable. I heard this morning that three quarters of every criminal who was put through scourging died during the scourging process. They never made it beyond that. So when we read that Christ was too weak to bear his own cross, we begin to get a bit of an understanding why. Again, every lash of that scourge was being lashed upon a back that didn't deserve it. We did What must it have felt like when he was crowned with thorns? Oh, people have often tried to figure out what's the significance of the thorns and the crown of thorns. We realize all the way back in the garden, because of sin, thorns and thistles, that crown was a picture of sin. It's a reminder of the sin, the thorns of it, the fruit of the curse. We don't often think about these things, but even when you prick your finger with a thorn today, it's a reminder of the curse. What must he have felt in his body being nailed to a cross? What must it have been to, without resistance, without any sort of fighting, to just simply stretch out his arms and have them nailed to a cross and have his feet nailed to a cross, to be lifted up in the picture of the ultimate picture of shame and yet not be guilty of a single thing he's being crucified for. And yet in his own body, he took upon himself the entire wrath of God. The Bible says that as the the man of sorrows, he would hang on a cross on a tree, wounds, of course, bleeding. But there was no greater wrath of God and what he felt the most was not even the darkness, but the separation that he experienced from his heavenly Father. Zechariah 13.7, which is quoted by Jesus in Matthew 26.31 and Mark 14.27, says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts, smite the shepherd. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. The Bible says for a number of hours, the sun was darkened. And during those hours, Jesus was in fact enduring the entire wrath of his father's divine justice. It's hard for our minds to get around the righteous anger and displeasure of God the Father being poured out on the Son due to the sins of people. We would say that's criminal. It's criminal to have somebody pay that kind of price for something they're not guilty of. Yet that's exactly what Christ did. He paid the price. We read in Psalm 22 and another one of Jesus' expressions that certainly, again, for those that are in Christ, you can hear the love of Christ in this. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? See, the depth of Christ's love, even in that expression, is unsearchable for us to even get to the bottom of. Because Christ loved his people to such a degree to undertake their redemption, to take upon himself all of their sins. Yet, through it all, they were those the Father had given to him, and he had set His love upon them. Do you know what it is to have Christ's love set upon you? The only way that really becomes real is when you begin to be reminded about how unworthy you are to have His love set upon you. Right? We can can almost justify why another human being loves us. Right? We might even be able to justify why my wife loves me or why my children love me or why I love my children, why I love my wife. But can you give one reason why Christ loves you? Normally, love gives something in return. You realize when it says you have nothing to offer, it means you have nothing to offer and that there's absolutely nothing in you that earned Christ's love? It is love that is, does not have something in return to say, I love you, now show me you love me. But you know, if you know the depths of Christ's love, you will want to return that and you will want to show that and you will want Christ to know you are the most precious to me. He loved his people to such a degree even though he had full knowledge of every sin of every single person that the Father gave to him. You realize there's not a moment scripturally where it says that Christ's love wavered, changed, altered towards his people. Do you know how Fickle our love is towards one another. Even if you don't physically feel well, you'll love less. At least you'll feel less love. We grow a little angry at people and sometimes our love seems to wane just a little bit. There's nowhere scripturally it says that Christ's love for his people began to wane or even to change. I can't get my arms around this because the most wicked sin that I commit, Christ's love didn't change for me. I am still guilty of wicked, awful transgression. I am guilty of things I don't want you under any circumstance to know that I thought, that I did, that I considered, that was my motive. I certainly don't want you to see my heart. I don't want you anywhere near it. Yet Christ knows all those things and his love for me has not changed one bit. But at the same time, it's not a license for me to go on living like I want to. It should make me wanna serve him and love him even more because of Christ's love ought to spark a response in me, a response that says, I am going to live for my Savior. Because of his love, Christ loved us infinitely, eternally, intensely, he drank in himself all of the wrath of God. So when Jesus said, it is finished, he was saying, I have stood in the place of my people. Their sins have been imputed to me. The curse of their sin has been executed and paid out on me. We read that beautiful verse this morning earlier in Hebrews 1, 3, when it says, by himself, Christ purged us from sin and sat down at the right hand of the Father. Christ, by the shedding of his blood, had purged away the sins of his people. He satisfied the justice and the requirement of the Father by making his soul an offering For sin. He had defeated the curse, the curse of the law, the curse of the world, the curse of Satan, the curse of death, the curse of hell. So, when Christ declared, It is finished, it was finished. When he uttered those words, of course, Christ was speaking about many things that had been finished. But he was speaking of the accomplishment that by his person, by his life, by his actions, by his sacrifice, by his death, he put an end to it. Finished. As we talked about last week, God the Father cannot exact from you what he has already exacted from his Son. There is not another payment to be made. There is not another punishment that is to be inflicted. Christ spoke, it is finished. I have to tell you, I have to deal with a phrase last week that or next week that I completely have been turned upside down with in its implications. When Christ is upon the cross, and I'm not going to even talk about this any more than just give you this as something to consider for next week. When Christ, who's on the cross, nails in His hands, nails in His feet, opens His mouth, and He prays to the Father, and He says something, that, again, I don't know why it just has arrested me this week. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now most of us, you have an immediate response as to what you think that means. But I want you to first of all consider who's speaking it, who he's speaking to, and who the them might be. We don't know how many were standing around the cross. We know sadly... There was only one disciple and his mother standing there. All the other ones had fled. And yet we have this picture. We'll see more next week. Father, remember that priestly prayer in John 17. Remember what Jesus was saying. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Christ was speaking in anticipation in John 17. And when we get to John 19, he is finishing the work and he uses that expression, Father, forgive. This speaks of a love and the depth of Christ's love that shows us every aspect of Christ was a love for his people. It is a powerful love it is an unchangeable immutable love we've often heard it Christ demonstrated his love while he hung upon a cross and that's true but to fully appreciate and understand what's happening we must include it wasn't just the hanging on the cross it was the fact that he was being made sin and a curse for us It isn't just a man hanging on a cross. It's a man who is taking sin and becoming a curse who doesn't know anything like that. He can't sin. Yet he takes it upon himself. Friends, I don't think Christ's love can be even expressed, can be written, can be spoken, that can conceive The depth of this. When Paul makes mention of the height and the breadth and the depth, knowing a little bit more about what we know now, it makes these verses even more powerful when you think about it. If you turn with me quickly over to Ephesians chapter 3, as part of Paul's prayer, He wants them to know. He wants them to be reminded. And he speaks specifically of knowing the love of Christ. And he uses the word depth. Ephesians 3, verse 14. Part of Paul's prayer, he says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. I have so many phrases marked, highlighted, in what's the, the end of this passage. May be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, remember the context of what Paul just said up to this point. Now unto him, Paul's prayer that you would know this, that you would know the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height. Paul's praying specifically for that. Look what he he says about what God is able to do. Now, unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Paul prayed that we would know the depths but you cannot know the depths of Christ's love on some human level that's based upon emotion, it's based upon conditions, it's based upon just the way I feel. It's the depths of Christ and Paul says, God is able to give you that kind of an understanding. Do you believe that today, that you can actually have an understanding of the depths of Christ's love, but it's not going to come from human intellect, and it's not going to come from human education. It's going to come from God himself. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. That verse is on the front door of this building. Unto him be glory in the church the congregants, the attenders, the members, the people that come here, do we understand the depths of Christ's love? Oh, this depth, the breadth, the length. Jesus bearing all of the sins of his people by an incomprehensible love, by his mercy, by his obedience, and by his blood friends this is a love that cannot be fully known humanly and again another expression that i have i have just read and i thought this is familiar i know the story but when jesus speaks the second time he says he says To Mary. Woman, behold thy son. Do you hear it? Do you see the depth? Do you see the depth? Here's this woman that was chosen by God himself to bear in her own body, he who would be the payment for sins. This is not just an expression of, look at me. This is an expression of love. Jesus is saying, look at me. Behold the Lamb of God that John the Baptist so elegantly preached. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John pointed and said, here he comes. John deflected everything about him. And he said, I'm not even worthy. No, I'm not the Christ. The Lamb of God is the Christ. Christ, when he spoke those words, woman, behold thy son, he was showing in perfect illustration and perfect fulfillment of all prophecy. He is obeying, suffering, and laying down his life. What a sight that must have been to see. But do you realize when you look upon Christ, you are looking into the face of who is your only hope in life and death. Friends, if you're here today and you're without Christ, you do not have any hope in this life or in the life to come. And the offer of the gospel goes freely from this pulpit. And every pulpit that preaches the Bible, they're going to, without any conditions upon you, to simply say, repent of your sins and believe that Jesus Christ is the only way. Without Christ, the saddest words in all the Scripture, when you compare them with maybe the greatest words ever spoken, it is finished. To be without Christ is to deny and to reject the offer of the gospel. He has never turned away anyone who has come unto him. If you leave here today without Christ, it's not on him, it's on you. You rejected him. He's saying now, behold me, the Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. It is in Christ is our life and our salvation. If you know Christ today, you certainly are in knowledge and possession of the greatest truth and the greatest gift you could ever have to know Christ as your Savior. It is finished. The depth of Christ's love for His people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we prepare our hearts to remember and to observe what the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross, may we keep in mind and be in remembrance of not just the physical sufferings, which were real and were brutal, were graphic But may our minds and our hearts be turned to Jesus Christ who knew no sin, bearing in his body the full weight, the full load of the sins and iniquities, all the sins and iniquities of all of his people from every generation. And to become a curse. Father, may this be a reminder today. May it be a means to revive our hearts if we've grown lethargic and cold and apathetic towards the things of God. If we know Christ as our savior, may you revive us, bring us to repentance to where we cannot remain in an apathetic indifferent condition, but that you would revive us, that our hearts would be stirred and convicted, brought again to rejoice in what Jesus Christ accomplished for his people. But God, we know that there may be those here today who do not know this joy. And Father, we do not want to do anything that brings any sort of glory to ourselves or glory in the flesh. But Father, may the Holy Spirit of God regenerate Regenerate that one, that or more than one that may be here today who does not know Christ and does not know the love of Christ. Convict them through the Spirit that the Spirit would show them their need and that they would know this dear Savior. Father, may we not be able to leave here the same. May we leave here eternally changed may we never take for granted the love of Christ and may, it, may we respond in boldness, may we respond in courage to go and speak the truth in a dark world, a world where we know the gospel is going forth, the gospel is being preached, souls are being saved, but may it renew in us a zeal for the cross of Jesus Christ and the salvation that's found in Christ alone. We ask these things in the name of Christ our Savior and for his sake. Amen.